Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Join our hosts as they discuss a wide range of topics and speak with leading cybersecurity, technology, and compliance experts. Now is the time for Secure Talk. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. Secure Talk is brought to you by Adequest, your cybersecurity and compliance partner. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we have the CEO of Crypto Stopper, uh, Greg Edwards, joining us. Greg, how are you today? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Pretty good. Um, just before the show, you were telling me that uh, you recently went through something that I'd even never heard of, which is a derecho. Is that, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yep, I think you're pronouncing it correctly. I'm not sure that I, I was pronouncing it correctly, but that's what I've that's what I think it is. And Anne was the first that I had heard of it too. And can you can you explain? I mean, it has nothing to do with uh, cybersecurity. Maybe a little bit to do with security, but nothing to do with cybersecurity. But it's I think it might be interesting to people who are listening in. Um, what actually is a derecho? Sure. So basically, it's a land hurricane. Um, something that I had never heard of, but looking at the radar image of this storm coming across our state, um, state of Iowa, uh, it, it looks like a hurricane with an eye and everything. And we had winds, so sustained winds of 112 miles an hour with gusts up to 140. And we don't, I mean, we have tornadoes here and that is destructive, but this was over a huge area and came across the state at 70 miles an hour uh, with basically no warning. And yeah, I mean, that's yeah, that's the scary thing. You you mentioned that, you know, you were just outside and you checked the weather and you didn't see anything really on the horizon to be concerned about. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this thing just pops up. Um, and you said, I think a, a big percentage of the, of the county lost power yeah. for several days. And yeah, so 97% of the county that I live in, um, so Cedar Rapids is the biggest town with about 140,000 in the metro area and about 400,000 in the county, 97% of the residents of the county were without power. And personally, we were without power for about six, well, exactly six days. Um, but there were people still after two weeks that were without power. So it was very devastating. And the city of Cedar Rapids is still recovering and just some horrible, uh, horrible devastation. I mean, this year, 2020, uh, what else could we expect? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've stopped saying that. <laughs> right, right. Uh, like it can't get worse than this, right? Uh, <laughs> knock on wood, right? But uh, well, that, that begs the question. Okay, so you know uh, we're going to get into crypto stopping in a second. But I mean, you're a cybersecurity company. Um, I'm on the West Coast, and most of the organizations that, that that we work and I'm familiar with are out on the you know either in the Silicon Valley or up here in the Pacific Northwest. Some down in Texas. How did uh, it come to be that you have crypto stopper out in uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa? In the tech capital of the world? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to use a, a different descriptive, but uh, yeah, I, we'll go with that. <laughs> uh, well, so I've been in technology, Started um, actually started my first company, a network consulting business in 1998 when I was 24, um, and so have been in the technology industry for for a long time um, and in 2007 started an off-site backup and disaster recovery company and ended up taking that nationally and our so we were seeing ransomware attacks starting in 2012 mm -hmm. and which was right actually at the same time that Bitcoin 
came out and no certainly no coincidence there right uh, but, <laughs> yeah between um, 2012 and 2015 20 percent of our offsite backup clients had we had to do full-on recoveries because of ransomware and this was really you know 2015 if you think back to then this is really before ransomware was even making national news like it is you know almost constantly now so people really didn't know about it right and so i, I wonder um what's your perspective on that i mean it took a few years before it became part of our lexicon, you know, rap, rap, uh, ransomware um, and ransomware attacks, etc. Do you think that organizations that were getting hit back then were just paying the ransoms or were they just, I mean, nobody was talking about it? Why did it take so long for us to become aware? So, so I think that the reason that that ransomware wasn't as well known back in, you know, starting as early as 2012 and through 2015 is that there weren't as big of attacks that had have happened now. So there wasn't city of Atlanta attack, city of Baltimore attack, cities in Florida that paid 460 and $440,000 in ransom, Garmin that just paid 10 million in ransom. Those kind of attacks weren't happening back in 2012 to 2015, and it wasn't making the national news. And it also, I, I don't think that the media really understood what was happening and didn't have experts like you, Mark, out there with podcasts and, and explaining these things. And so there there wasn't there just wasn't the reporting sure. of it back but, then. And but but it was coming up on your radar because of your disaster and recovery business or your backup and recovery. Excuse me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we like I said, we started seeing it in 2012. And by 2015, I realized that this was going to be a very serious problem on the horizon. And it made sense um, just from the standpoint of offsite backup being somewhat commoditized by that time. We had a, a very unique offering that wasn't as unique by, by 2015. Uh, so I sold access backup uh, to a publicly traded company called J2 Global and started Crypto Stopper and actually started a full service um, managed security services business and then have, have switched to just focusing on crypto stopper and stopping ransomware since then. Okay. So, so that, that's really interesting. And, and I, I, crypto stopper, you developed your own proprietary technology and tool. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yep. yep. Um, so, so, so tell us a little bit about that. I, yeah. I'm, I'm actually interested how you just, you know, go from a managed service organization to, um, to developing your own technology, but um, let's 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 put that in the parking lot and, and just tell us a little bit about what Crypto Stopper does. Sure. So Crypto Stopper, and and the reason that we developed Crypto Stopper is because there wasn't a product in the market. I mean, we had a, a security stack, um, but there still was no way with the security tools using some of the best tools in the market to stop a ransomware attack once it got past that wall. And I feel like as technologists over the last 20 years, we've just been building, trying to build these better and better walls. And there's always been malware that's gotten through. Well, now with, with the advent of ransomware, when one of those slips through, it's devastating. And we were seeing that and, and even using the best tools, there wasn't something to stop it 
once that attack was on the inside of the house. And so uh, one of our engineers, Chris Hartwig, actually came up with the idea of, well, why don't we monitor, you know, you know, the very simplest model of it um, was a PowerShell script that we built that deployed bait files and, and watched those bait files for encryption activity. And then was an automated process to stop. And I mean, as you can imagine, PowerShell was not was not all that efficient and wasn't scalable. And so we just evolved that over time. And finally then in, in 2019, turned that into its a full its own product and shut down the managed services side of the security business and just focus now on that application crypto stopper. Excellent. And for those those of us who don't know what a bait file is, are you talking about some type of a, 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 a target or a, a decoy or something like that? Yep. Yep. So um, they're called canary files or honeypots. Um, lots of different ways to describe it, but and it and it all falls under the deception technology category of cybersecurity. Um, so what a bait file is, is essentially just a a generated, randomly generated file from our side um, that's out on the network that we then watch for malicious activity. Okay, and then when you can see that somebody um, has tried to encrypt that file, you get a, an alert. Is that what's happening? Well, our our algorithm monitors and watches for that so that we don't just trip on normal user behavior. Um, but then once it trips, it takes automatic uh, automatic action to isolate, either kill the process at a desktop or if it's on a network share to isolate the offending workstation that's, that's running the attack. Excellent. Okay. And um, you mentioned on, on your website, uh, faster time to detection and fewer false, false positives. Explain both of those. Yeah. The, so, so the time to detection is less than a second. Um, so when we, I mentioned the PowerShell script that we initially wrote this, wrote this as was it actually was only a little over 300 lines of code for that PowerShell script. Um, but it took about nine seconds to detect an attack and isolate the attack. Now with just, just through um, improvements over time, we've gotten that down to less than a second to detect an attack and stop it. So you can imagine, I mean, normally an IT admin doesn't even see an attack until maybe 30 minutes or hours into it. And then their first response is to run to the network closet and start pulling network cables. Um, <laughs> and, but yeah. even nine seconds of running ransomware is going to be thousands and thousands of files. And so getting it down to less than a second, our average, when we detect a ransomware attack, the average is right around 40 files that are hit. And so when you think about that and the fact that we're a we're post-execution, so that ransomware is now running on your network and we're stopping it in less than a second and it's still hitting somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 files it's just crazy fast how quickly and it all you know all depends on file sizes and processor speed and lots of other variables but that ransomware attack is chewing up files very fast 
when a, a ransomware attack is occurring, how can it spread so quickly? What's the, you know, I mean, how is it spreading throughout the network? Well, so several different ways of doing that, but t the most typical is that it starts at a, a user desktop and will go and discover the rest of the network and discover network shares that are out there. And the most basic versions will just start encrypting, like think of, you know, like WinZip or 7-Zip as a user, you could go encrypt anything on the network that you have access to the network share. And so what these most basic ransomware variants will do um, when they go to attack a network, which a lot of them do, and, and that transition happened um, in that 2015 timeframe where the attackers knew, okay, rather than just hitting a desktop or thinking about a user network to hit, as we're going into corporate environments, let's not even worry about hitting what's at the desktop level and go directly to the server. And so um, on the most basic level, it's just running from a workstation and starts encrypting files out on the network shares. Okay, makes sense. So does it, you know, for your technology, does it matter what type of ransomware attack? You know, I mean, there, there are all, always new variations, different payloads that are being, you know, sprung on, on the world. Um, do you, do you, are you looking for known attack or, or it could be a zero day attack where this is something new and, um, and we can still detect because of the, the type of activity that they're trying to perpetuate? Right. So, so I promise I didn't prompt Mark into this, into asking this question, but it's a beautiful question um, because, no, it doesn't matter what variant it is. And it doesn't matter if it's even a fileless attack where it's um, what we call a live off the land attack, where it's leveraging a script language that's already native to the to the server or the desktop, because we're watching for the action of encryption as opposed to looking for a, a specific variant of ransomware or malware or, or what have you. Uh, it's just looking at that encryption activity. So it doesn't matter if it's zero day or something that's been in the wild forever. Excellent. And then how does um, CryptoStopper play along with, you know, I mean, probably 80% of the world's on, on various Microsoft products and, and, and moving in the direction of Office 365. And there's a bunch of tools that are baked into the uh, Office 365 and EMS suite, including, you know, ATP, advanced threat protection, et cetera, that does something similar, probably a completely different approach. But how do you play along with kind of these, you know, other antivirus and threat detection yeah, tools? Yeah, so, so, so we really see CryptoStopper as an add-on to those other tools, and not certainly not a replacement for antivirus, not a replacement for ATP detection. Um, so it's it's an add-on that works, and we've tested it with every different antivirus that's out there, and know that it you know doesn't cause problems interacting and and working alongside other antivirus. So it's a complementary tool, um, and and something that you know we feel is it's certainly not a complete platform for cybersecurity. And there's no, I mean, that's one thing that I've always said. I mean, there's no one silver bullet for cybersecurity, at least not yet. And we're several years out from 
um, where there will be any one platform that a company can just go by and okay now we're protected from everything um, so so yeah we're we're an add-on to an agnostic to whatever other cybersecurity tools companies are already using okay and how how do you deploy uh, CryptoStopper? What's the so, process? Yep. Yeah. So the deployment. I mean, depending on the the size of the installation, can be deployed through an MSI and and scripted install that goes out across the all the desktops and servers on a network, or can can be as simple as just a click and install. Excellent. So that doesn't sound too cumbersome, and. For, does a company need some type of uh, in-house expertise? Do you do provide them the training? Yeah. How does that work? Yeah, no, no in-house expertise needed at all, um, and something that our support team will help and and walk people through. And our our primary clients are managed service providers, and that's how we've gone to market with the product. Um, so those are our primary, and typically we'll train. Um, train their engineers on doing the installations and then they run with it from there. Um, we do have lots of direct clients where their in-house IT team, we've either worked with them or they downloaded and installed it on their own. Excellent. And uh, I don't want to get too much into the business side of it, but uh, is it an annual license or, you know, what's your... Uh, month, yeah, monthly or annual. Monthly per per user, I would say, or by organizational yeah, per, side? Um, so it's per um, per device, per device, yeah. Whether desktop, laptop, or server. Excellent. Okay. Um, can you tell me tell me some success stories? You don't have to name any names, but you can give some examples. Absolutely. So, um, Fertility Clinic that has clients all over the country um, has stopped two different attacks. So users just in their day-to-day, -day, not even knowing that anything's going on, clicked, and this was two different events over um, over about a six-month period, where they're, they ran an attack not knowingly, and they're, in both of those cases, their desktops were automatically shut down and isolated by CryptoStopper. So that's, that's a typical kind of event. I mean, it's usually a user that executes clicks on something that starts that ransomware script antivirus doesn't pick it up and stop it which is the case 47 percent of the time um, unfortunately that that antivirus doesn't detect ransomware um, and then crypto stopper kicks in and shuts down what it'll do is automatically shut down the workstation and in both of these cases did exactly that shuts down the workstation. The user gets a pop-up notice. Hey, ransomware is running on your machine. We're shutting you down, sends a notification to the security team or it admin. And then they know, okay, that machine was infected with ransomware. We have to go remediate it, but at least it didn't just destroy their entire network. So this particular company, two times in less than six months. Wow. Well, they definitely got an ROI on their, their investment. on <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Um, yeah. Gar Garmin, um, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, curious, like, 
Are there any sensitivity controls or policies to determine, you know, when you fully automate a shutdown versus just flagging it? Um, or do you have, you know, how do you do that? There are. So we've certainly improved over time um, and have reduced the false positives because it is something where we're watching behavior and watching for encryption, which there's lots of applications that will run encryption just as part of their system. And so there was a lot of tuning that we did on the front end. And then in larger organizations and large deployments, there's a, a bit of tuning and we have a whitelisting um, system where we can go in and whitelist specific um, folders or specific processes that we don't want our system to detect on. Excellent. Okay. Um, I, I noticed on your, your, your website uh, that you have some free tools, and one is a ransomware simulator. <laughs> yep. yep. I, I was intrigued, but I did not click. So <laughs> I'm a little gun shy. So how does that how, <laughs> Tell me about yeah. that. So that is it's actually a PowerShell script that we wrote in-house to run ransomware. Um, that is, we have a decryptor for it, so it is safe, but, and we, and we use that caveat, that it, we don't want people to run it in their production environments, right. and what it's for is to test your own systems, um, because most people think, you know, oh, we just need better antivirus to protect against ransomware, well, run our script and see what happens, and again, do that in a in a safe manner, and we'll we've got good documentation on how to do that. But that's exactly what it is. I mean, it is it is ransomware without the the payment mechanism behind it, um, and then also our decryptor. So if, if someone does make a mistake, hey, and hey, hey, we've there. we've we've got you, and the only way you're getting out of this is to buy some crypto stopper. Now, <laughs> right. I we're, see we're your sales getting... strategy. Okay. <laughs> We do have uh, we have one reseller that uses that um, uses that simulator and demos that that he does and he he still says every time he runs it it scares him. Yeah, <laughs> well, it kind of comes with the territory, I guess. Hey, um, what um, what are you seeing? I mean, you know, because you've been you've been seeing or aware of ransomware attacks since you mentioned I think 2012, and you 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 mentioned that there's an evolution in terms of the sophistication, the size of the targets, um, and obviously the frequency of attacks. But what are you seeing in terms of, uh, I guess, defense strategies in terms of, you know, detection? Are, are companies more likely to back up now? Um, are, are, are companies more paying more? I mean, what are you seeing out there? Yeah, so, I mean, really what I'm seeing now is what I would call an arms race from these attackers realizing that, you know, the first evolution was to go delete the backups. And that that still happens a lot. I mean, a lot of times these ransomware scripts will go out and look for the most common types of connected backup systems and then go either encrypt those also or wipe them out. Um, and so, and that that's still happening a lot, but the next evolution that's happening now is where they're exfiltrating the data and then holding the company for ransom in two ways by saying, you know, hey, we encrypted your data, 
go ahead and restore it if you still have good backups, but we also exfiltrated your your system, and so now if you don't pay us, we're going to publish that. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> and and I mean and that is something that that I was surprised how long it took honestly hmm. to come to bear because I mean I kind of have a, a hacker's mindset but um for good promise <laughs> <laughs> um and and that always made sense to me that that would be the next evolution and that's happening um yeah you had some guy you know sitting in a in a uh, apartment in Eastern Europe, and he's, you know, trying to figure out the next uh, evolution of, of how he can be a better hacker. Or rent, and, and he's like, "Boss, boss, I got an idea. We can, <laughs> if they don't pay the ransom, if, if they've got a backup, we can still just release it to the public." <laughs> yeah, brilliant. You're promoted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, that that may be exactly how it went down. Um, yeah. Uh, so the next the next thing that that we started seeing um, just in the past couple of months and actually just saw a report on it today um, from Tesla where these uh, these cyber organizations these cyber crime organizations which is really what they are because it's not it's not the guy in a hoodie sitting right. in his mom's basement anymore I mean these are organized oh, yeah. crime units um, they're now paying employees of companies to walk in with a you know with a USB stick or some other way of walking the the ransomware attack in the front door, and the most recent report that I, I saw on Tesla, there was a uh, Russian citizen that contacted a Tesla employee, uh, and that that employee actually went to Tesla right away, said, hey, you know, this is what's happening. Offered to pay him a million dollars. Oh my gosh! To walk this this ransomware in the door, um, they got the FBI FBI involved and and luckily arrested the the Russian citizen that was trying to get this guy to do it. But it's it's definitely an arms race. I mean, it's it's they're making millions and millions of dollars doing this, and so it's just going to be. A continual escalation and something where where we have to continue to evolve even though you know it doesn't matter what ransomware variant it is we still need to be able to detect if exfiltration is happening and stop that so that people can't be ransomed just for the data that's been pulled out and offsite. That is scary on so many levels I mean from the from the Tesla point of view if they were infected, uh, you know the their their trade secrets, the you know the hit to their um, to their stock price. So you know, and then from the employees' point of view, I mean, how many people would say no to a million? But I, I mean, being in that situation, if anybody approached me and offered me a million dollars, I'd also be afraid. I'd be afraid one to take the. I wouldn't take the money ethically, but I'd be afraid to report them because anybody who has that that type of resources. You know, they've got some uh, pretty dodgy connections, right? And it's like, I, I just don't want to be involved, man. <laughs> That's a pretty scary scenario. Right, yeah. And you're going to go into um, hiding because you were pro, you know what I mean? Exactly. That, yeah, it is, it is very scary. Cedar Rapids, <laughs> they never look for me there. <laughs> <laughs> Come on over. <laughs> uh, so, um, well, let me ask you, uh, 
what advice? Oh, actually, I want to uh, touch on one other thing. Um, what are you seeing in terms of uh, ransoms being paid or cyber insurance covering the the ransom? Yeah. So the average from from 2019 um, of ransoms paid by insurance was $338,000. The average um, average cost of a ransomware to a corporate entity, um, and I, I don't have don't have a way to back this one up, but I had heard that it's now $3.8 million is the, the cost of a ransomware attack. And that, when I first saw that, I thought that sounds really, really high and more than I would expect. Um, but when you put that into perspective of some of the ransoms that have been paid recently, it's, it's kind of chump change. Um, so that 3.8 million was looking at total cost of the damage, whether they paid the ransom or not, and just to recover. Um, but like you look at a Garmin that actually paid the $10 million ransom, plus their systems were down for four days. Uh, and so I, I'm a private pilot and have a Garmin system. And that, that event was certainly a knock on their reputation to me. Um, but, but then also all of the, the runners and the bikers and people that use their other wearable devices couldn't upload anything for four days. So, I mean, that cost to Garmin has to, I mean, it's gotta be in the tens of millions, if not more than that. So, um, I, I'm not sure what your original question was or whether I answered that yet or not, Mark. No, 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 you did. I was talking about, um, you know, uh, companies paying paying ransoms and then the role of cyber insurance. And basically what, what, what I'm hearing you say is, you know, insurance is helpful up to $338,000 per, you know, payout. Uh, but the reality is, is um, a lot of these tax are a multiple of 10 to 20 times higher in terms of the total damages. And you, you, you mentioned, I think it was uh, about... 3 million, 3.8 million or something like that in, in, in total costs. I, I've seen similar numbers as well because you've got, like you said, the direct remediation costs, but then you also have the hit to the reputation, which oftentimes can be much worse. Sometimes you also even have, uh, you know, GDPR and other type of regulatory fines that go along with it because, you know, you didn't, uh, you weren't protecting your data in the appropriate manner and in some regulations that can um, open you up or expose you to uh, paying penalties and fines so um, absolutely um, so insurance is helpful but you know what it's not gonna probably take it you're still gonna need, you want to prevent these attacks I guess is what the story is there right yeah. I, I mean I you know I look at it as I think everyone should have cyber liability insurance that's a company entity um, which just like you have general liability insurance, but you don't leave the front door open. And that's what people are doing now by not properly protecting themselves. Excellent. So um, what else would you like to tell us about CryptoStopper? Um, you know, what's going on? What's exciting? Anything in the future? It just this is a kind of open slot for you. Yeah. So, so I, I would say the most exciting things that we're working on right now are cloud protection. Um, so that we should have available within before the end of this year. Um, that's one evolution that's happening now where attackers are um, going after the cloud storage and not just those local local shares. Um, we're 
we're growing very rapidly. So that's that's exciting for for us. Um, and I, and I think that the big thing that companies need to be aware of is that their current security stack isn't going to protect them from ransomware attacks necessarily. So when that attacker gets through that wall that I talked about and is now on the inside and ransomware is running, there's there's just no protection in almost every single business network that exists today other than you know the small market share that we've taken so far so far which is uh which is expanding um but people it admins and security admins need to take this very seriously and 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 are starting to i mean i think it's it's a huge concern people just haven't known about products like crypto stopper that that are available to help protect themselves excellent Last question. Um, what advice, aside from obviously deploying CryptoStopper, um, but what advice would you give for uh, one, just end users? You know, the, the, I'm, I'm at home, I'm using my, my computer here, uh, and I, I, I don't want I don't want to deal with a ransomware attack. Or and then and or um, IT admins, which is you know a, d- a different layer of responsibility. What, what kind of advice would you give? Right. So for the for the home users or the individual users working from home, which is so many of us now, um, it's it's really about being vigilant and just making sure that that you as an individual are not doing something foolish by clicking on links and email that are suspicious at all and hovering over and making sure that you know when you're clicking on something if it's an attachment that you're expecting it and if it's a link that you know where it's going to take you to and then ask questions i mean people don't have gotten so used to getting an email with an invoice attached or getting an email with this attached and if you're not absolutely expecting it pick up the phone and and call and ask if that person actually sent it to you. So that's my advice for the users and and getting some cybersecurity training. Um, this bleeds over into the IT admins also, but for the individual users, take advantage of that cybersecurity training and take it seriously. Uh, so then on the IT admin and the, the company side, it's got to be a layered approach. So a layered security approach, meaning that you're not just thinking that antivirus is going to solve your problem. And depending on the complexity of the network um, can mean lots and lots of different things. And depending on budget, um, I mean, I'm sure you've had these discussions before around layered security. Um, Absolutely. But know, know what you're doing from a security standpoint and that antivirus alone is not enough. I would say patch management. I mean, if I had to pick one thing that that I would do to protect a company from the next attack, um, I, I probably wouldn't even say it's crypto stopper, and that that sounds bad for for my own company. But it would be patch management. I mean, know that every device on your network is up to date and patched, and have a system around automating and making sure that that's done. That's some great advice. All of that. I think uh, that 
right there is probably the most valuable uh, five minutes of the podcast right there. Um, excellent. <laughs> I um yeah a couple of things you you mentioned the the invoice uh, I actually received a um a, an order for a substantial amount of hardware and it, you know the, the the description of the order was in the, the body of the email um there was a PO attached uh, that I didn't click on and then I noticed that the shipping destination was kind of it, it was different from where the company was registered and um and so I called the the, the individual and the guy, as soon as he picked up the phone, he goes, do not click on the attachment. We've been hacked. We've been. And so obviously I was like probably the 10th guy that had called that morning. But uh, I think that was great advice that you just, just pick up the phone. You know, nobody's in that big of a rush um, to get something done. But a lot of times they'll use that, that sense of urgency, like, hey, I need some help. Can you do this for me right now? Or check this out right away. And, and, and people just click on it because it looks like it's coming from maybe their boss or a friend or something like that. Um, some some excellent advice, and then the the patch management. Yeah. Patch management can be so tricky because when you have these large organizations, sometimes they don't even know all the devices that are in service. So one of the things that that we recommend at Adequest is is at, from time to time you need to have a snapshot of everything that's on your network or your entire IT infrastructure, all the different apps that are using the different databases, etc. And so we'll use various types of network scans, typically takes a couple weeks to run, et cetera. And we get all kinds of analytics in terms of total cost of ownership, everything. But the, probably the most important thing we get is we know exactly. And so many times we'll find, you know, out of date servers that people have left in a room and people, you know, IT admin come and go. Some people, they just say, well, that server's always been there. We have no idea what it does, right? And it's like, well, we know what it does. It spreads ransomware attacks because it's, you know. But uh, yeah, so that's some excellent advice. Hey, um, Greg, really uh, appreciate your, your, your time. Um, I'm going to put a description and some links to your, your website in the, uh, in the, in the, the podcast description. Um, but it's been great having you on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Mark. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Join our hosts as they discuss a wide range of topics and speak with leading cybersecurity, technology, and compliance experts. Now is the time for Secure Talk.